new series uh, today, and uh, it's entitled Extreme Makeover. Um, uh, my father, Pastor Gabby, the lead pastor of this church. If you love your lead pastor, can you make some noise one time real quick? Let's go. Uh, I received a prophetic word uh, in our revival series that I would preach a sermon series on restoration. And, and um, how many guys know you can have a prophetic word, but if you don't match that with prophetic work, ain't nothing going to happen in your life. Uh, so these next few weeks, literally like the next three weeks, um, God's put this sermon series on my heart. And, and, I, and I titled this series Extreme Makeover. Uh, because that's what Jesus wants to do. Uh, and before we even get into the sermon, I want to ask the church real quick. This is a call and response. How many of you in here believe that Jesus formed us and he made us with his hands? Who believes that? Come on. I believe it. But here's the truth. And this is really the whole series in a nutshell. That, yeah, God formed us in our mother's womb. But God is not done forming us. God is not done shaping us. God is not done literally renovating and restoring what the enemy meant for evil. God wants to turn to good. So if you believe that God is still working on you, come on, no perfect people are allowed in this church. Come on, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I'm a work in progress. I'm glad that God is working on me. If you believe in that, can you shout amen in this room this morning? Come on, if you believe that God is not done working on you, can you just shout amen this morning? I'm excited to preach. Thank y'all. Y'all gotta stop because we go. We go. It's gonna. It's gonna be crazy. Um, we'll see you guys in, in a couple moments. Make some noise for your worship team one time. The best worship team in the world is your church. All right. Just go anywhere else on a Sunday. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, are you taking notes this morning? I'm ready to preach. Are you taking notes? Uh, when you take notes, it, it's really not only for you to. To have something to look at on a Monday, on a Tuesday, um, have something to go back to that the Lord uh, spoke into your life on. Um, but really, when you're taking notes, man, write some stuff that God's impressing on your heart and maybe some things that God's telling you to do. Uh, take notes on that. Um, and if you have no other, if any of those reasons aren't legit, just take notes for me because I got a bunch of notes here, right? So just make me feel good. Um, just kidding. Uh, I'm excited to hear today. I'm ready to speak a word. This series is called Extreme Makeover. Every single week of this series, we're going to be looking at something that Jesus wants to renovate. We're not going to talk about a bunch of different things every week. We're going to focus on one specific thing that Jesus wants to renovate, that Jesus wants to uh, literally restructure. How many of you guys seen Extreme Makeover, the show? Have you seen it? Can you raise your hand one time? Oh, let's go. My people. If, if you're on that channel, you're my people, all right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I love all these shows. And what's really awesome with the show is that um, they take the family, they send them out. You know, they take them out of their house. And, and while they're gone, uh, they bring in the best people to begin to work on every single part and portion of that house. There's not one area that is left untouched. Uh, the architects and the designers and uh, the interior designers. By the way, if you have that gift, we need you here at New Birth, all right? We need your expertise. Um, but they walk in and they say, hey, how can we just blow this family away? And then when the family comes back, they literally park them right in front of this huge bus um, right on the street of their house. So they can't even see the renovated house. They can't see what's done yet. And what happens is uh, when they have this big chant, they say, 
uh, right at the moment. And if you know it, can you say it with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Move that bus. Let's go. Wow. I'm so proud of my church. And they say, move that bus. And the family turns around and they see the house and they immediately start crying. Oh, my God. You know? And, and here's the thing. Every week this series Jesus is going to move a bus out of your life to show you where he wants to work in your life. Every single week. I'm excited for this. And, and, and this week, Jesus is going to move. If you're taking notes, this is the whole night so to, to receive it. Jesus is removing the bus of greed. And first point, and he's turning it into generosity. Jesus is looking at the bus of greed and he said, no, move that bus. I want to move greed out of your life and I want to lift up a generous people. I want to lift up people who are generous. If you didn't know, our God is really good at restoring broken things and making it whole again. You may have walked in here feeling like a bunch of rubble, a bunch of pieces, a bunch of, a, a, just like a destructive place. I'm going to let you know you're in the perfect place at the perfect time in the perfect hands of God. If he made you, he knows exactly how to put you back together. And he wants to do something in your life, this series. He wants to form you again. How many of you guys know restoration is a process? Somebody say process. I know today in a Western culture, everything's fast. Everything's immediate. Everything is, is literally at, at, at a blink of an eye, your Amazon package is at your door. At a blink of an eye, you know, the, the, the meal in your, in your microwave is right nice, nice hot and ready. At, a, at, at just a few moments, you could just open, you know, this satanic uh, place called Google. I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of jokes in here, so if you don't think it's funny, it's all right. My wife's laughing. And, and Google, becoming the all-knowing God we lean on more than our God our Father. And, and we go to Google for answers. We can find anything in a moment. But God says, no, my restoration is a process. The things I want to do in your life, listen, I believe that God does, I believe that God does healing immediately sometimes. How many of you guys have seen that before? Like, I've seen someone come to the altar and they walk away and they never go back to that again. I've seen people with, with, with things in their life that physically or internally that God would heal on the spot. But most of our lives are not like that. God doesn't always work that way. I don't think it's either or. I think it's both. That God sometimes does things immediately but God will sometimes do things in a process. That yeah, you, you, you're, you're not the same person you were when you found Christ but you're definitely not who you were a year ago. And you're definitely not who you're going to be in a year from now because you're not where you want to be, but you're not where you're used to be because God's not done working on you. That's what God is in the business of restoring things. So you can walk into God's arms with some things and he, his Holy Spirit, that's what he does. He convicts and corrects us and he molds us and he shapes us. And today we're looking at the sin of greed. I think it's great we start with greed, especially coming out of the last series, what it means to be blessed. Because greed can get in the way of what God wants to do in your life, to be generous, to be a vessel. First point is that greed, Jesus wants to renovate greed into generosity. If you struggle with greed in here, and listen, y'all, we are in America, in the Bible, and compared to the world, we're the rich man in all the stories. Did you know that? 90, 90 plus percent of the world lives on a dollar a day. 
and, and we, us in America compared to the, the rest of the world, they look at us and call us rich. So this, is, this, this series is something huge. This, this specific sermon is something huge because, because greed's the one thing we think that we can worship alongside God. Uh, money's the one thing we feel we can worship alongside God. Here's the definition of greed. Greed, an inordinate desire to desire more than one needs. An uncontrolled longing for the acquisition of use or material gain. An excessive pursuit of material goods, ignoring the realm of the spiritual. This is greed. It's like we got to get bigger. We got to go larger. We got to go shinier. The car's got to go faster. The house has to be bigger. We have this in us. I'm going to let you know the Holy Spirit's exposing that that is not of God. That God has not given us a spirit of greed. It's not only money, but it's possessions, it's land, it's status, it's power. Greed says it's never going to be enough. Greed says no matter how much I have, there's, it's still not enough. Greed gives up eternal things for temporal things. And that's how it destroys us. Friends, if you can't give up something, you don't own it, it owns you. There's something that rules your headspace more than God. If there's something that rules your mind, your actions more than God, it's not only God you worship. It may be something else. And a lot of you guys don't know my story. Listen, I'm not a preacher. I've been preaching for five years, but I'm a, I'm a miracle. <laughs> but God's done some renovating in my life. God's done some restoration in my life. I would not be up here if God didn't ask me to. I'd probably be doing something else. I don't know. I'd probably be in business or something, marketing. I don't know. But God's called me here. And I've just said yes because I don't know about you, but I'd rather, I'd rather gain everything God has for me than to gain the whole world and lose my soul. Man, it's so worth it saying, God, you know what? I'll, I'll allow you to renovate some things in my life. Greed. We went into a recession a little while ago and, and the stock market crashed and, and Wall Street filled with the, the most the richest people sometimes in, in the city. Wall Street saw the most suicides ever when the market crashed. Men and women jumping off of their office windows because they're more concerned about where the money's at. And if, they, if the money's not there and the market crashes, they don't see another reason to live. Greed, greed. Greed. Let's, let's see what, what, what does the Bible say about greed. You know, we see Gordon Greco. He says greed is good. Greed is good. Gordon Greco, a leader in, in, in the world, he, he's, he's in charge of businesses and finances. He says greed is good. And in America, sometimes we get that, 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 that theology taught on to us, right? That greed is good. That it's good to have greed. But as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of the Most High King, we humbly disagree. That greed can actually destroy our lives. That bigger, better, faster, more hoarding can actually destroy our lives. What does the Bible say about greed? Mark chapter 4, 19. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things to come in, they choke the word. Making the word unfruitful. Meaning the word of God brings fruit, but when the word of God is brought to someone who is more focused and worshiping on different things, there will never be fruit brought through that person. 
Can I say that again? That God, the word of God brings fruit. But, but when there's deceitfulness of wealth and there's desires of other things, the word of God can come into your heart and still not bring fruit. Someone who can chew on Bible all they want, but when they're deceived in wealth and their desires are for other things, the word of God gets choked somewhere in our hearts. And there's no fruit coming forth. Because something in us is deceited that, we, you know, we're deceitful and that, yeah, we love God, but we really love wealth. Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Man, we read this verse and it's really, doesn't this hit culture right in the face? Because culture says you are what you have. Culture says your identity is directly attached to your bank account. That your identity is directly attached to what you can gain. But the Bible rubs against that. And Christianity literally rubs against that. And what it says is that this is not about an abundance of possessions. Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. That we want more things and we don't want more God. That we want more clothes but we don't want more presence of God. That we want more possessions and land but we actually don't desire the things of the Lord. Is there a church in here this morning? Come on. I, I, well, what does the Bible say? Jesus, Jesus warns about this. Proverbs 23, 4 says, do not wear yourself out to get rich and do not trust your own cleverness. When you're, when, you're, when you're more focused on trying to get rich than you are trying to be a son and daughter of God, you're going to wear yourself out. Even in the church. When you're more concerned about what you want for your life than what God wants for your life, you will wear yourself out. When we're trying to chase the bag instead of chasing what God wants for us, you will wear yourself out. And don't trust your own cleverness. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Holy Spirit that is living within you. God is right now renovating and changing and molding in the name of Jesus. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 10 says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. God is trying to save you from ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 90% of the crimes committed in America are due to greed and pleasure. And sometimes those coincide, don't they? Next idea is that the Bible warns against greed more than almost any other sin. That's why we're teaching on it. And if there's a word that needs to be said in the Western world, in America, in the United States, here in Florida, it's that God is warning us. Because here's the thing. Jesus spoke about money and, and greed because, because Jesus is after your heart. How many of you guys believe Jesus is after your heart? <laughs> He's after your heart. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your church attendance. He wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, the rest will be handled. He doesn't want your works. We do not receive salvation by works, so no one should boast. 
He wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, faith without works is dead. So if he has my heart, he has my faith. And when he has my faith, he has my works. We can't twist it. God wants our heart. So he talks about greed. Because the next point is that nothing represents your heart more than where your money goes. You want to know where your heart is? Look at your bank statements from October. And I'll let you know, give you a quick little insight of where your heart is. You, if I want to follow your heart, I just got to follow the paper trail. Jesus says that. Jesus says that. Jesus says that. And he talks about greed because he knows how much it can distort your mind and your heart. He knows how much it can, it can ruin your life. Jesus says in Luke 16, 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Jesus, he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. So when you read you can't serve two masters, automatically we put God and we put like the nasty sin in our life, right? The thing we, our vice. We, so we say God say you can't serve two masters, and right there you put God on one side and you put something else. But Jesus says, no, you can't serve both God and money. He's clarifying you can't serve both God and money because the devil, the devil, the devil that's after your soul, the devil that is after your mind and he's after you being distorted and destructed, he is trying to encourage you. He's trying to paint this picture that money is the one thing that you can love the most with God. The enemy's painted this picture and he wants you to grab it. He wants you to receive it. That money and greed is the one thing you can worship alongside God but Jesus says no it's either you love me or you love money but you cannot serve both A.W. Towser one of my favorite my favorite uh theologians of the Bible says this quote the pronouns my and mine look innocent yet are verbal symptoms of a deep disease the roots of our hearts have grown down into things and we dare not pull up one rootless run rootlet lest we die What he's trying to say is, and this is really the, the main thing of greed, is this next point that we cannot substitute God for the stuff that he gives us. I'm not more concerned about the gift. I'm way more infatuated with the giver of the gift. Because if he gave it to me, I know that there's a lot more that he wants to give to me in my life. I know that there's a lot more he wants to do in my life. If he gave me a job, I know God can do it again. If he gave me children, I know he can do it again. If he blessed me with income, if he blessed me with a house, I know he can do it again. But what happens is the devil wants us to worship the thing more than the giver of the thing. And we can't substitute it. We can't substitute it. I buy my wife stuff, but, but that's not me. She has to love me. Don't love what I gave you more than you love me, all right? Because what happens is you, you kind of lose focus on, 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 on what's the thing we like. Is it the actual materialistic thing or is it the God that has exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine? I found this, this statistic. It's so wild. Did you know that corporate storage units, so these are the Walmarts, these are the Amazons, these are the, 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 I mean, all the factory storage units. Think about Costco. Anybody been to Co any Costco people in here? A couple of us, all right. Any Sam's Club people in here? Sam's Club, all right. We got some safe people in the room today, all right. Just kidding. You ever been, you've probably, you, you've never seen their warehouses, right. We see the big build, but they have storage units 
where the warehouses are, all these companies, Starbucks, think about the largest companies you know. They actually have storage units. And across America, they have literally, this is the number, 53, around 53,000 storage units in America on land. Off-site. 53,000. Do you want to know how many personal storage facilities? That's not them, that's us. People, personal storage. So 53,000 for all the Walmarts, the Starbucks, the, the, everything. Personal storage units? 23 million. Is that a head scratcher or not? These big corporations. With, you know, you walk in, you don't buy everything. They got double stocked everything. This is America, y'all. 53,000 personal storage units. 23 million. I don't know about you. Here in like Central Florida, I see more storage units going up than anything else. I literally said, I told my wife this a couple months ago. I made a press. I said, God, I pray churches rise up as quickly as these storage units go up. In the name of Jesus. 23 million. Just for us to store up stuff that we don't even need. Just for us to put stuff in a place to have peace of mind. I got stuff I can go to when I want to. The average Westerner American shops six hours a week, but spends less than 40 minutes a week with their children. Greed will ruin your relationships. See, families stop talking because of money. We know this inside and outside of the church. Inside and outside of the church. The biggest thing, the biggest reason why men and women that confess their love in front of people and in front of God, the biggest reason. This is inside and outside of church. They divorce because of money. The enemy says, it's okay if you're in church. And some of you guys, you probably don't want to hear this. It's okay that you go to a new birth as long as you still worship money. It's okay that you're invested in God and, and you're going, yeah, but, but if I have your heart, I've got everything I need. If I have your mind, if I have your headspace, if you're more worried about how you're going to get the next this and the next that, then you, you don't let God have room to do something in your life. In the summer, we looked at mountains, mountains. We looked at mountains of what God wanted to do in mountains. And we saw on Mount Sinai that Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. For those of you who are new in the faith, you got, you're like, what's God's top ten list of what not to do? Well, God had a top ten list. And then Jesus obviously says, you know, all the law and all the prophets are summed up into loving God, you know, with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. But in the Old Testament, God gives a top ten list to the people. They need, they need a top ten. What's the top ten things? It's like things we know, right, like don't kill people, right? It's like check. Well, if you didn't know, yeah, so God says not to kill people. Don't lie, don't steal. But then there's this one commandment we always overlook. Do not covet. Don't, don't want, don't long for your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's house or your neighbor's flock. In other words, don't want these, don't covet. Listen, y'all, covet and greed is in God's top ten list. It's not only sinning, like, like sins like the killing and rape. We know that is true to be wrong. But in God's top ten list is, is don't put God's before me and also do not covet. And I think the worship song we say today just goes perfectly with that, right? I've got everything that I need. Your goodness and your mercy, I shall not want. 
I've got everything that I need. So God's anti-money isn't here, right? So if he's so against greed, he's anti-money. No, God is, God is for money. You guys know that God is, God, God is doing all right. Y'all know that, right? <laughs> he has, this is for someone in here, hear me. Holy Spirit is speaking. He has all the extra that you need, church. He's got all the more that you need. This isn't a gospel, you know, like God's got all the extra. God's got riches of glory. In heaven, the streets are made of gold. So you might skid mark on some gold. But the reason why God wants to talk about greed, because the next point is this, that God knows how fast money can change you. God knows how fast money can change you. It can ruin your soul. It can, it can ruin your friendships. As I close, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? Verse 21, this is like the main thing. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says that money, hear my heart, friends. Jesus says that money is a spiritual issue. Jesus says that money is a spiritual issue. And that you can be in the house of God and, and listen, you know, Judas eventually betrays Jesus for money. Judas eventually betrays Jesus for money. But here's the truth. This, this is what we know. And, and I'm about to close out so you can just lean into this moment. We know scripture says that all the time Judas was taking from the ministry of Jesus. And it's not funny that Jesus put him in charge of the money. That's another sermon for another day. That Jesus knows your struggle and he puts it in front of you so you can have a decision to make every day. But uh, that's another day. But today, understand that every day he was taking from the ministry. He was taking from the purse. Always. They'd raise an offering. He's all right for Jesus. I'll take some for me. How much did we make? We made four shekels. It was a dry day. And he's got like 15 in his back pocket. You know, that's me just telling the story in my mind. Like, I like when Bible comes alive, right? Anybody else? You like when the Bible comes alive? You just have fun with it. And then we see that Judas trades in Jesus. I always wondered. This always blew me away. How in the world did you see Jesus heal blind eyes? Jesus feed thousands of people. You saw Jesus perform miracles. You saw Jesus for three years just healing people with his hands and sometimes even healing people with his words. How do you see all those miracles, all those signs and wonders, Judas, and how do you still trade in Jesus? Like how does that happen? How in the world does that happen? You know why the Holy Spirit told me. You know how that happens? Because Judas didn't trade Jesus on the night he was betrayed. Judas, Judas traded Jesus every single day for three years. So it wasn't one moment that he traded Jesus. In his heart, 
He had every day a decision. Is it going to be God or is it going to be money? He chose money every single time. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Judas manifested what his heart was doing already for three years. That you can be so close to God and still worship money. So what, where does the renovation happen? Where does the restoration happen? Well, this is, what, this is what it is. This is everything here. Jesus wants to restore greed and bring forth a generous heart. There's the restoration, church. There's the restoration that Jesus takes greed and he wants to bring forth a generous heart. How does God restore greed? How does he do it? How does God restore greed? This is it right here. He instructs us to be generous. He tells us to give our tithes, to lay our money down and say, God, you so, you see, so, so when you're giving, it's not because God doesn't know you. When you're giving, it's because you need to remind yourself who your God is. And every time you lay your money down, you're saying, God, I love you more than this. I'm not here in life to worship the things you give me. I'm here to worship the giver of these gifts. I'm not here to fall more in love with possessions. So God says, give them to me in the early church. Man, they were doing really well. People would just come and just lay down. And all the richest people in the church would sell half of their stuff and say, God, take it. Because I can't let this thing ruin my heart. So how do we battle greed if this, this morning, if this, this sermon was just, just messing you up, as it messed me up? Remember that God instructs us to be generous, that God instructs us to be faithful because he wants our hearts. In the New Testament, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. So when you're generous, you know you're picking up the cross. You're picking up the cross. And listen, the cross is heavy. The cross, it'll weaken you. But man, I'd rather walk in obedience and following Jesus. I'd rather walk in obedience and following Jesus. It's going to get hard, but God's going to make a way. It's going to be tough. But if God, who loves me, called me, I must give him my whole heart and mind. Here's, what, here's what's funny. I, I got married around two years ago. And there's been this ring on my finger for two years. And um, I'm going to invite the worship team up. We can sing that Shall Not One song. That was, that was crazy. So I've been married. A any married folk in the room this morning? Any married folk? All right, once Can we make noise for all the young people like being married? is actually a really good, fun thing. Come on, is your marriage fun? Can you make some noise? Any married people in the room this morning? Woo! That's what I thought. And... Um, this ring on my finger, it was funny because I had it on all through my honeymoon. I had my, my ring on and, you know, we were out on the beach. And even when I got back, I, I didn't take it off for a long time. Um, and what happened was after a while, I, I, I actually took my ring off. to. So, like, I'm the type of dude, I, like, shower with my ring. I wash my hands with my ring. Like, I'm always like, no, it stays there. Until, like, a couple months after I got married, I decided to take my ring off. Because uh, I was doing some handiwork. I didn't want to, you know, get it scratched up or beat up. And, and when I play drums sometimes, I'll take it off because I don't want to, like, slap it and, and scrape it. So I took my ring off. And, and it hit my head, like, wait a minute. If I take this ring off, no one's going to see 
the symbol of my marriage, right? When it's not there, it's like I'm, I'm open for, for, for any, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm open, I'm, I'm ready to sing, I'm, I'm single, ready to mingle when the ring's not there. But what's funny was, so I thought about that for a second. Yeah, so when the ring's not there, I guess that, that's what it means. But here's what, I, here's what I noticed, that when I looked at my finger, I had a tan on my finger. So after I got off the drums, I looked and I said, oh, and even men, you know this, men and women, you know, the skin feels a little different where the ring is, right? It's just a bit more, it's a bit more like, like, like a virgin skin right there. Like it's, it's not only a tan, so it's, so like, even if the ring's off, you still see that I'm married. Why? Because the ring marked me. It marked me. So the tan is different, and then the skin even feels different. And literally, some of you guys can even see it from here. Like, like you see, like there was a ring there. And, and I want to remind you this morning that we're singing this song, I Shall Not Want. But before that, that, that's from scripture. It says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. So if the Lord is my shepherd, I'm his sheep. And if you didn't know this, so what they would do with cattle's farmers, what they would do is they'd get their cattle. <laughs> they'd get their cattle. And so that other shepherds would distinguish their sheep from his sheep. Oh, he'd take something like a brand and he'd go to the sheep and he would mark his sheep so that even if the sheep went wandering off and even if the sheep got lost sometimes in the field, if someone saw that sheep, they would see that that sheep has a mark inside of it. And God sent me this morning to tell you, church, that even if greed has caught your heart, that even if greed has led you astray, that if people's idea of you and possessions and land and money has led you astray, God sent me this morning to tell you, you are marked by God. You are marked by God. So in the mountain and in the valley, when you're coming and where you're going, you have been marked by God. You've been marked. Somebody say, I've been marked. Come on, say it like you mean it. I've been marked. I've been marked. Come on, and if I'm marked, I'm his property. And if I'm his property, God has every right to mold me and shape me. So God doesn't want to just restore you into something to, so you can show off. God wants to mold you into the image of his son, Jesus. And the son, Jesus. Come on, if you believe that. Can you just give some shout and praise to God today?